taking your life for wine. Fuck water. <laughs> you remember where the heart is. Do it. Kill me. Kill me. Kill me. Welcome back. We're nearing uh, the end of a of a storm of swords. Everyone listening, we I think am, am I the only one when sort of resetting my mind for the process of reading and beginning to record uh, for our discussion for today's podcast, the one that you're listening to this week. Following all the events that we've gone through throughout 2015, and not just ourselves, but as a community and as a show, I feel like when we come together, it's like there's a sort of burden of responsibility to bring all of those experiences with us to the moment that we record. But the books, they've been a staple of the podcast since the beginning. Now, 300 and something episodes in, we can start saying the chapters are always fantastic. And we know all of this. This is how we're here, um, even speaking about the story that was adapted into a massive television show. But mm-hmm. do we get the opportunity to start our readings with the knowledge as you begin to read the chapter that, oh my God, this is when <laughs> this happens. <laughs> there's a, there's so, I am mm-hmm. ridiculously excited for the conversation we're about to have because these chapters were incredible and they are huge moments in A Song of Ice and Fire. Every chapter I come up on, I think it's my favorite chapter in the whole series. And then the next <laughs> chapter is my favorite chapter in the whole series. And then the next chapter, I'm like, oh, but I forgot about that chapter. So that's just how I've been feeling through the whole end of this book. The momentum, right? It's just yeah. Yeah. incredible. It is so easy to forget as somebody who's read the series at least one time before this uh, of all the the detail because it it's so enjoyable to go through and and to see how much you really don't retain from a detail standpoint. Like These chapters were huge in the show. But they are so different in the book Absolutely. in terms of yeah. how they play themselves out. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if you look at the John chapter, just the the terms under which he goes to meet with Mance Raider, Jesus. completely, completely yeah. different. The Arya chapter with what happens to the Hound, while we did see that scene play itself out, ultimately it was Brienne who supposedly did the Hound in. So... Mm. It, it it's really fun to go back and to get this experience all over again and and remembering just how different things are it doesn't mean it's better or worse but i would give a slight tip of the cap to the books in terms of how it's written because just the the level of intensity in these two chapters with the different things that are going on you don't know if john is going to survive you don't know if mance is going to survive you don't know if ari is going to live or does the hound survive at the end of the chapter? These are all questions that maybe even up until this moment right now, as we're sitting here recording this, we don't have the answers to those questions. So uh, that's what I really enjoy about getting this far into the series. Yeah. I feel like the moments are, are stacking up and the tension is absolutely mounting. And I guess we have to serve a casual reminder to everyone that's listening. Like this is our, these are our conversations about the book. This is us as a show coming together to discuss and to to feel all of this alongside all of you listening but the show exists the the mm-hmm. fandom the community it all exists right now and and it's one thriving organism 
that is symbiotic with one another, with uh, Night of the Seven Kingdoms releasing, with the World of Ice and Fire, and with, with all these tertiary things happening in a, a World of Ice and Fire. There's just a lot going on, and I think it's a really cool uh, dynamic to add to reading along with the story. Because you don't always have that sort of comparison. You don't always mm-hmm. have those those windows that we have into what's already happened as we sort of go back in time in the books. Even though we're not, we're, we're chronologically going further in the process of our show. We've only made it this far in the story. Eric and I have only read this far into the story. Hannah and Micah right. have done everything, but but we haven't. So it's it's just cool because I feel like with with the the way the show is building into the future and the books are even further, it's... The opposite with Game of Bones. And as a book reader or just a plain show watcher, there's just a lot of different chronologies if you're if you're listening to this podcast and the world of Ice and Fire. I know my words are getting a little mixed up. but The chronology is going to factor into a, a lot to the discussion coming up, I think, too, um, in terms of how we – knowing that books four and five are split by character and not by you know chronological events uh, and sort of how to even tackle what's ahead of us in our Song of Ice and Fire read-through. Um, you know, who knows what is going to happen, but then even in Storm of Swords still, like you're saying, I mean, the chapters, which I would say were pretty faithfully adapted, still contain a lot of detail and certain things like the wolf dreams, which practically plague John and Arya both, um, because they happen so frequently and, you know, do not make it as often into the show are basically like moving forward in time. For characters because these are plots that were dropped these were plots that were not adapted so i while i feel like i'm going backwards having seen it very vaguely john treating with mance um it is different and it is special and there's so much more like the conversation with um Tormund as well like there's just so much more that really makes it feel i feel like i'm being pulled both backwards and forwards in time mm-hmm. yeah. don't you feel so lucky though to be able to play in this world with so many you know so many different opportunities to play in this world that we love so much you know we get to see the characters from the angles of the books we get to see the characters from the show we get to kind of you know take all of this and kind of hang out in westeros i think that's yeah i just feel lucky that we've got all this fun stuff it's so cool i'm thinking of john's chapter and i'm you know it's going to be a good conversation when i'm itching to start talking about what happened in the aria chapter but it's like hold on a second (laughs) status just came to the north that moment so it's it's really uh, just think of how hot like, just the action here, everything that's going down, right? And yeah. Orel's eagle is on fire in the sky. Uh, <laughs> huge. Yeah, that was pretty badass. Well, like, and you imagine it with the the cinema. You you imagine that scope now that we've had, and I I went back to sort of show visuals just to see the in my mind's eye the army closing in, but. In reality, there's even so much more. Oh, yeah. It's you know, like intense. the Burning Eagle. And you're just like, holy shit. So I started with like an image of what that wildling encampment may look like. And then reading it in the book, how everybody's going different directions. People are abandoning. The giants are getting up. I'm like, holy shit, there's so much more here. The eagle's burning. The banners are, you know, John's trying to, John's standing outside the tent watching Mance like fight for his While people. While his wife is giving birth. Yeah, While his wife is giving insane. birth and trying insane. to discern what the, uh, what the damn banners are. So it's like all this stuff that's like so extra. And I'm just like, my mind is blown. I'm like, he's forcing us. There's so much detail here. You've just forced to abandon everything you think, you know, and chaos, like see a new yeah. chaos is a good way to put he, it. Nobody writes chaos better than George R. R. Martin. General dismay. Agreed. <laughs> complete pandemonium is what's going on. Yeah at the end of this chapter and i don't know that you necessarily got the full scope of that 
in the show. And that's why, to me, it would have been so amazing for that particular episode of it was season four to have ended with Stannis showing up just because of the way this chapter ends. Uh, and and so I in my mind as I was going through and I was you know the battle on the wall I was watching that I was just waiting at the end for the banners of Stannis Baratheon to come through and for John to recognize who in fact it was that was coming to save him and and so as a reader like what you have to understand is it may have been much more easily discerned by watching the show that Stannis was going north. Right. But when you're reading this book for the first time, it may be a little bit more difficult to pick up on that clue. And there you're reading this chapter. John is treating with Mance. He's about to try and murder the guy. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, horns are in the distance. You know, There's mention of Iron Men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So your mind immediately goes to the Greyjoys. Right. I know mine did. And then all of a sudden, you have Stannis Baratheon showing up. Like John's trying to process in his mind, is it Robert? Is it Could Robert? Could it be Rob? Like, what's happening oh, here? Man. And it's Stannis. As, Stannis. A, as a reader, your mind is blown. You're like, Stannis is at the fucking wall. <laughs> yeah. How did he yeah. get there? How did he yeah. get there? Yeah. He's on the other side <laughs> of the wall. Thank just... God Davos learned to read. <laughs> yeah, good thing. Yeah, oh, man. <laughs> but just imagine reading that for the first time without any sort of pretext, without any no. show as background information. I know. I know, and I tried to do that today. I, I went to a park, and these, I started to read these chapters. I was like, hold on. Strike and mm-hmm. I have to yeah. leave society and go to and uh, I mean just the way the chapter begins. The wind was blowing wild from the east, and in it came wild from the east in all directions. At by the end of the chapter, it was mm-hmm. like a, gr- a grim day to John, and it's just so much happens, so much emotion from the relationships we've established with these characters and how he's been out of that for a good chunk of time in the book and how we we get thrust right back into it. The last yeah. time you know he spoke to Mance was on the other side of the wall, but he's been back and forth, and it's just so much has changed, yet so much is the same. Igret's dead. We're casually talking about it. Slint is at the wall boasting, saying, you know, of course Mance wouldn't want to come Asshole. speak to me. He's heard that, that, that Jano Slint is here at the wall. Of course yeah. he wants to parlay. Of course he wants to... To treat in some he, sense. Yes, now that he's, I'm he's here. so afraid of Slint and Thorn. And... It's almost too much to talk about, guys. Uh, I mean, obviously, we have to. This is our charge to have a conversation. Yeah, yeah, it's our sworn duty. Part but... of me just wants to like read it, like so everyone else could just. I like... know. Oh, but that's <laughs> that's, 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 a, that's, that's a listener's charge. That's... Where do I start? It's, it's absolute uh, chaos, and it's so enjoyable. And the show would have needed such a larger budget to be able to establish this kind of action. Like I'm seeing a. Uh, Lots of heavy camera angles like they did in the show. It's just establishing the directions that they were coming in, which I thought was was well adapted. But it would have been so cool to see a really scared moment of, of maybe a point of view and seeing the eagle maybe through like the trees or something flying into the sky, burning. Just some kind of an omen uh, further elevating this aspect of Melisandre, Rollor, and the Red God. And it just, I don't know. So cool, so cool, so cool. I mean, I'm 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 glad that they I'm glad that there could be a John chapter because these guys let him out of the cell. <laughs> like you imagine that if there had been a John chapter that was scrapped before this four days was up, it would have just been like so cold. Burr, burr, <laughs> John so couldn't cold. sleep. It I'm was too cold. The they leave thing. him in this five foot by five foot by five foot 
ice cell thing where I mean, I guess it's compared to meat. I don't think that's exactly where they keep meat, but you know, it's it's punishment. He's been locked away and they have the, they let him out, but it's not a mercy. It's because they have this basically suicide mission for him to go on. And they all think they're so brilliant. And they all think like you were saying, Zach, they all think they're so intimidating and the king beyond the wall wants to um you know, negotiate terms. We're we're gonna go send somebody to kill him because we're just that cool and that competent and that capable. They have no idea that basically, as we learned throughout the course of the chapter, like Mance has the one weapon that will end the entire world right now. Presumably. Yeah, yeah they're not and thinking about the like, walkers. Yeah, they're just so pleased with themselves that they've come up with this plot of sending John to die. Talk about small potatoes. And this has been a folly of not just this side. I mean, we've had the same... It's like, how do the people at the wall deserve the attention of someone like Stannis? Like, with all of these lords refusing to pay attention to the letters Maester Aemon has sent off, when here the leadership at the wall is so distracted by their own personal plights as well. It's true, but uh, one of his relatives, quote-unquote, is the one who really comes to his aid here in Maester Aemon, right? He's the one who ultimately (laughs) gets Thorn... I'm just theorizing. (laughs) I love it. I love it. And uh, please don't stop. Jenna Slint to let him go, as you mentioned, only to have to take on this suicide mission. And that is going to be something that I don't think any of us would have expected John to survive. He's going to try and kill Mance Raider in his own tent with his wife about to give birth. And what do you think before Stannis shows up? I know this is jumping ahead a little bit. Do you think John could have actually done it? Part of me believes that he wouldn't have been able to. I don't, I just feel like there's no way. I mean, he even just kind of walks into it feeling defeated. So if nothing else, he doesn't have that fire inside of him to kind of get it done. I mean, he may have been able to talk his way out of it, but I mean, Stannis really saved the day. For me, if it were him or Mance, John would make effort to kill Mance. He wouldn't enjoy it. He would um, probably think about it for weeks and months to come, but I I think he would try. It's just that he's so outnumbered. He's at such a disadvantage that had Stannis not arrived, John probably would have failed. I don't think it would have been John's own. I don't think he would have been his own undoing though. I think he, he was continually, and this is the interesting part. He was continually looking around for when the moment was to strike. Even when the horns sound, he's thinking, Oh, I, I could try and cut him down right now, but he's just as confused as as everyone else, so he doesn't. So, but as a follow up, then knowing what we know about Melisandre and her belief in Stannis being Azor High, there's been a lot of theorizing about Jon Snow being that person. So, mm-hmm. did Stannis arrive? Did the Red God arrive just in the nick of time in order to save him? Hmm. I mean, it's quite convenient. He arrived with fire in the sky and an army at his back the banners were there he could have shown up an hour before he could have shown up an hour later but no he shows up right when john is inside the tent talking to mance raider uh it's fate or good writing one of the two (laughs) (laughs) convenient writing i was somebody i was reading somewhere as i do perusing the internet about someone was saying how john kind of seems to be shielded from a lot of situations like he always kind of gets out in the nick of time for that reason maybe to kind of save him for 
being promised. Yeah, maybe it's a god's luck, right? Like he could have been George could have chosen to kill him so much earlier and then just had Sam talk about all the stuff that's happening at the wall. Talking about Slint, our favorite character. Um, mm. When he talks about Eamon and he says, a blind man with chains about his neck, who does he think he is? <laughs> yeah. And you're just like, low-key, the son of a king. Like, yeah. he's just John's a like, Targaryen. just, you know, a Targaryen. I great. I love that John is privy to that secret. He's like, I know exactly who he is, but I'm not telling. Well, it's not even a secret is the thing. You know, he just, uh, that's just further demonstrates how disconnected Slint is with reality, that he's not even caring to give the respect to their maester who's seen a thing or two. Right, sort of knows what's up. Well, and that's why when he's when he's trying to when he's talking about this plot, this strategy with people, he's like, "Oh man, old bear would have at least heard me out." But these guys are not having any of it. Like they they send him. It's not just a suicide mission. It's really a stupid plan. There's there's actually no way unless he were John, who luckily he is. To, there's no reason why he should come out. In fact, when he first arrives, and they're like, "Let's just kill him and ask for somebody else." Like, let's yeah. send his head back with a note asking for somebody else. That could have been how things went. But it was Tormund who wrote to meet John Har. And it went differently than it could have. It it certainly could have been. Imagine if Vermeer would have been the one to ride out to meet him with his friends in tow. Could have been different. You never know. They could have respected Mance's authority and allowed the emissary to meet with the king beyond the wall. But mm. it was Tormund, and it just brought back that warmth. And I thought of the man that we've met and that we've grown to know. The man that lays with bears and has all these wonderful stories. Sold us a hotel room. Sold us a hotel room earlier in New York City. It was just such a throwback to have in that brief moment between John leaving the wall and getting to Mance. And I couldn't help but remember how they portrayed it in the television show, which was just John and Mance. But to have that moment between John and Tormund where they're basically just pouring one out. Yeah. For all the for friends. All of oh, the pouring fallen. one into themselves. <laughs> There's a stiff mead for a stiff occasion there. It was, it was a nice touch to have yeah. in that chapter as they were looking back on, on those that they had lost in, in this battle. Aye, some great lord was he, this Donald Noy, <laughs> who John tells Tormund ended up murdering Mag or killing Mag the Mighty in battle. And John says... A blacksmith. He only had one arm. Tormund says, a one-armed blacksmith slew Mag the Mighty Hard. That must have been a fight to see. Mansell, make a song of it. See if he don't. I would have liked to have seen this sort of gray, just, you know, the feeling John had when he was walking out of the uh, out of the gate, and he saw the giants whose head has been smashed in. He saw the, the crows picking parts of the brain out of this, this slain body, and they shouted mm. snow at him, or the crows shouted snow <laughs> at him and then flew off. It's like, jeez. Like, this is rough. I know we're going through the perspective of, of one uh, Jon Snow, and we feel like, you know, while there's heightened drama, it just kind of feels real because you know the character so well. You know what he thinks right. when he likes a girl. You know what he thinks when he hurts his hand. You know a lot about the inner workings of this guy's mind, but he's walking through gore of a battle toward what he thinks is his death. You know, and a bird talks to him and says his last name. It's just a lot's <laughs> happening in but this, this chapter. this kind of feels like a moment of relief almost with an old friend, you know? Exactly, exactly. And it just kind of sprouts up uh, out of nowhere. I mean, we see Tormund coming, but you expect all that he expected, which is basically that they would kill him on sight. But instead, we get a pretty jovial conversation. And mm -hmm. I think it sets the tone really well for, uh, like, it transitions us into the camp where we learn of all the different you know, the camp is full of cook fires. There's piss pits, animals, women, children walking around freely. There's no order. And John is 
counting all this in his mind and he's sort of understanding how they were able to stand at the top of this wall with their straw men and 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 hold off against these guys even with Mant sending his his plans at the shadow tower and and having men climb and attack from different directions pulling Bowen Marsh out of the way like all of that being said they were able to stand up to this massive force because of what defines them as a as a congregation of people I don't know. I just it made a lot of sense because I think when we were on the other side of the wall and we had that sort of first transitional moment where the thins attacked from the back, we started to really think of this as very dangerous and scary, and it is. But I think toward the end, we sort of lost the face of who was attacking us, mm-hmm. and now we get it again. And the first face we get after like the last reminder that we were in the middle of gore and bloodshed, which is dead bodies and brains being picked. Is the friendliest of them all. <laughs> he is the friendliest yeah. of them all. His tone was gruff yet strangely gentle. Tormans, I like that. Yeah, you're right. That's that's actually perfectly said. Like they're friends. It's it's amazing how quickly they it's sort of things sort of slip back into that. Uh, John makes Tormund laugh. He knows exactly what to say, even with Mance. He's using the right words, and it's almost like Mance. I, I wouldn't use the word forgiveness, but I would it, it just he talks about the betrayal of John and he's like, oh, you're in that cloak again. You, you you're either really brave or really stupid. But it's just like the, he understands that John did what he had to do. He's not walking into, you know, an imperialistic camp, you know, like this, this vastly dangerous. Like I said, we lost the face, I think, at some point. Hmm. Uh, especially with the pace of how we're going through the books and these chapters. It's been a good stretch of time since we had a close relationship with these guys. So when John meets Mance, we're a little scared. And, you know, they have the exchanges outside of the tent. And Varamir's there. Harmer's dog's head's there. And, you know, what does Tormund get called? He gets called Tormund Crow Lover. <laughs> You know, and so we're, we're, because he's not, you know, talking a lot of shit to John. And it's just funny because, you know, the reason they've been able to put together this division of leadership is because of the kinds of people that they are. You know, like how the kind of king that Mance is, the one that wasn't born into it, but the one that was like basically fought his way there. Yeah. It's it's made up by people that allow this to happen. So it's just really interesting when we get reintroduced into it for this short amount of time. While they all know that at the end of the day, they're probably going to kill John and or something terrible is going to happen to him. But we we find out through conversation amid a lot of things that tip our hat toward the supernatural, which has happened at such a, a, a higher degree, right? As we hit the end of this book, it's just yeah. like these mentions. Here's a quote. Once a beast's been joined to a man, any skin changer yeah. can slip inside and ride him. Orel was withering inside his feathers, so I took the eagle for my own. But the joining works both ways, Warg. Orel lives inside me now, whispering how much he hates you. And I can soar above the wall and see you with eagle eyes. If we want to talk about important moments to yeah. hold on in our back pockets. Just in case you forgot that White Walkers exist and skin changers exist, welcome to the other side of the wall, Jon Snow. If you lose your body and she knows nothing, warging. Yeah, okay. I'll just, I'll just say it's. John's reaching out for ghosts, you know, and he's thinking of ghosts in this chapter. There's that reference of, man, I'm, I really wish I had ghosts, really miss ghosts right now. I just heard, I really wish I had goats, and I agreed with you. Oh, yeah. Goats, <laughs> goats would be nice, too. Goats are nice. Aberforth. It's Absolutely. important to me that they mention the fact that uh, Varamir has the ability to be able to utilize this eagle to fly above the wall because... When John is having conversation with Mance, 
you'd ask yourself the question, how does Mance have all of this information about the Night's Watch? Yeah. Right. And I would think that the main way that he's been able to compile all this information is through Varamir and his ability to be a skin changer and to use a creature like the eagle to soar high above and to take stock of everything that's going on. Yeah. Now, for other places like Eastwatch, he may be getting reports sent back to him, but for the immediate situation, he's got some serious detail that only Varys would be able to get <laughs> yeah. from his little birds. So, uh, no pun intended there. I I'm just saying, like, <laughs> yeah. I was impressed by how much he knew. Uh, about what was going on on John's side of the wall. Yeah, well, he says, so we know. We know how few you were when you stopped the turtle, which I'm just like, fuck the turtle. Mm. Love that shit. And he says, <laughs> we know how many came from Eastwatch. We know how your supplies have dwindled. Pitch, oil, arrows, spears. Like, they've got this eagle counting how many spears are left on the wall. Yeah. Even your stare is gone. And know that it's like not gone. that many. Yeah, even your stare is gone, and that cage can only lift so many. We're talking also about like planning how many more, like how long it would take a certain amount of reinforcements to come to the top of the wall. Like they know all of the shit we know, and now you know we know. It's like come take, take us seriously. Like yeah. we we can take you down. It's it's pretty shocking. Literally, a man goes inside of the body of a of a bird <laughs> and reports back to their leader what's happening on the other side of a 800 foot wall of ice constructed you know 10,000 years in the past you know we i think we like like i said sometimes we forget and i try to remind myself and us and everyone listening not that the reminder is necessary because we know how the story started out with the opening prologue but like this is there's a these are heavy implications in the middle of this very real real exchange with real people in the next chapter we've got a wound that needs to have wine boiled to possibly clean it out like we're 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 very heavily anchored in reality but we have mentions of we cannot blow this horn because if we do this massive army of the dead that repopulates the dead and adds even greater numbers to their own army who has been picking away at us who we're actually worried about and who we're also tracking the movements of will freely walk because the days are getting shorter, and with that, the skies are getting darker, and the world is growing colder, and winter is coming. I feel like, you know how you said like the tension is being pushed toward the end of this book? I'm interested to feel how the tension of all that's happening pushes through the next two books, or immediately the next book. It's just, there's so much mounting here. I mean, we're sitting in the room, guys, of the Horn of Winter, right? This massive horn that you can reach your arm into, that will, if blown take down the wall can you imagine like watching that wall fall down (laughs) no no that's unreal that's unreal it it defies imagination. like you can't i can imagine small sections of it and like the guys being buried in it's cool though right like it's really cool it's all the chaos that's unfolding in this chapter like the battling and all the stakes and all the the small worries of men yet we have an eagle burning in the sky like what an omen toward yeah. where the story is eventually headed it's just oh, and even higher much. than the 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 chaos that's happening is what would happen like you're saying i mean if that horn were blown and i love john asks if you had the horn uh, the horn all along why haven't you used it and mance's wife great with child lying on her pile of furs uh says the horn lord once said that sorcery is a sword without a hilt there is no safe way to grasp it. And they're talking about like 
negative consequences, even to blowing the horn. It's like, what happens to you if you blow the horn that brings yeah. the wall down? Doesn't it make everything feel insignificant? Like yeah. we were saying before, you yeah. know, this horn can take down the wall. The others can come and kill everyone and then they can be reborn as <laughs> whatever. You know, it, it makes everything in the, this series almost seem insignificant. Like, well, it doesn't matter who's on the Iron Throne. And it doesn't matter, you know, where anybody is because everyone's just going to die. So let's focus on that. Meanwhile, Janos slits on the other side of the wall playing Lord of the North. Yeah. And Thorn's scheming with him. And we've got, uh, I can't get over the eagle burning in the sky. I'm just imagining Melisandre yeah. just like casting, you know, a fire spell in the air. I don't know how this is happening. All I know is that there are a whole lot of men under the command of Stannis. And he's just riding in like a king. And the implications of all of this is too much. And I feel like we need to dedicate an episode at some point just about, uh, like th- almost a therapeutic session because I, like I said, I don't know where the next books go, but knowing where our minds are, you know, we still don't even, we have a taste of hard home, but we still don't even have like the full anything yet. And it, like, we don't, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. there's so, there's so much more left. And if we're reacting this way over just like, this is a drop in the bucket, right? This is a drop in the bucket. Yeah. Drop in the bucket. I mean, that's, that's just why we need a King up here and fast <laughs> like we we need a king who's going to pay attention to these issues and deal with them in a kingly manner we need everyone that can you know we need translators Walk. we need yeah anyone just to all the humans all of the things that are Lord. alive yeah more everyone uh just to come together in like one massive army and just face down this threat well because if the wildlings want to get on the other side of the wall then I mean, if that's not sign enough, right? then I don't know what is. I think John probably could have worked out a pretty decent agreement between Mance and the Night's Watch to allow the Wildlings to pass without any sort of real issue. But when you have people like Thorn and Slint who are in power, it poses a bit of a problem. However, I will say this. The Wildlings do outnumber the Night's Watch, and I would think there would probably be a pretty good chance that if they decided to march on the wall and John was able to help them through, that they would pretty easily overpower (laughs) the likes of Thorn and Slint. I mean, there's a guy among them that has a a shadow cat and a few wolves that just hang out with them. (laughs) That's... Yeah, that's. You know what I, mean? I, I guess you're right. Although they'd be dealing with, if John were to just march back with the guy, I mean, there's the chance that they would never make it to the gate alive because these men have been fighting, like the Watch has been fighting these guys so heavily for but so how long. Many, how many barrels of rocks do they have left up there? You uh, know? Yeah, I mean, maybe John and like Man three. stay back a little bit. Yeah, they stay back for the first, for the last three barrels to drop uh, and then knock on the gate. But it's like you'd be dealing with almost total opposition. Like John has to go back alone and then figure out how to broker peace, like from from the other side. Otherwise, he would never get back. With Mance apparently dead, that that's the terms of, of yeah. how John can come back is that he needs to make sure that the king beyond the wall is dead. And Mance even says that he could wait this out. He could go to Eastwatch. And and you know, sort of circumvent the wall, right? And and lead all of his people, but his people are tired. That they, they don't want to fight anymore. This has gone on long enough, and 
if there was just a way to allow them through without any sort of issues arising, then that would be the best possible solution. He's, he's giving John terms of peace here, knowing that the Night's Watch doesn't have what it takes to, to fight this fight. Is know? this like a former... Is like his old brotherhood like shining through? Like, what is it for Mance here? He says he's going to give them the Horn of Winter. Like, how cool is that? Like, I've dug this I, up for you. <laughs> for Mance? Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's that he recognizes that, as Zach said before, the season is starting to change and that the others are not that far behind them. And if they catch up, it's going to be a far more serious problem than what they're all facing right now. And so open your doors, let us through. We don't want to continue this type of fight, but if we have to, we will. It's just, I I don't, I don't think it has anything to do with his former allegiance to the night's watch. I, I just think he's trying to do what's best for himself, for now his family, as well as all mm-hmm. those people that have rallied around him. Mm. I mean, the yeah. stakes are high. People of the realm of all realms, uh, reader this, readers of the story who don't quite know the 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 way that the tide will eventually turn. Uh, Mance Raider is uh, in tune with what is happening. I, mean, I think it's part of the reason that it's definitely part, or if not all of the reason, that he's ascended to the station that he's ascended to. You know, like there's a like there's there's talks in this chapter which I, I loved, and I don't think I saved the quote, but it essentially comes down to the the kind of person, like I said before, not being born into leadership. The fact that he he's just, he's from as low as they come. Yeah, and I'm my own champion, my own fool, my own harpist. Exactly. There's a sense of urgency to this, um, not only with what's happening in the world around them, but just in general. It's it's almost like a human rights situation. All these different kinds of people are coming together and they're operating in harmony and it's unlike that notion hasn't been introduced into this world yet anywhere daenerys is dealing with slavery and i mean just an endless amount of misogyny out east and that's (laughs) just how it is also in westeros and that's just the the nature of planetos in general and you don't see that at all in the wildlings harman dogshead is a woman who's of equal rank it seems with Vermeer sixkins and is talking shit to Tormund, and that's not being scoffed at and john isn't thinking poorly of it you see the respect that that mance gives his wife it's just it's a different world and and we're seeing that portrayed through this character that george R. R. martin is writing it's approachable and uh, the stakes are very high but we see with how the chapter unfolds when the general dismay and confusion and panic just erupts after the trumpet sound. It doesn't matter. Again, this is what is reminded to us through the, his brand of storytelling and the nature of the story. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter what your cause is. It doesn't matter who you are. When iron starts to fly your way on horseback or by the hand of someone swinging it, it's gonna. You know, it's 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 it. It's dangerous. Some people are gonna die. Some people are gonna be lit on fire. And the person who has <laughs> planned the best for the occasion is going to win, period. I love how you said the stakes are higher. And I was thinking, with Stannis coming, the stakes are going to get even higher, huh? <laughs> wah, wah. Burned at the stake. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> the, um, this, ca- this chaos, this pandemonium, uh, and another opportunity for John to like destroy the horn or kind of 
choose fate i it's interrupted by dala right saying it's coming mm-hmm. i'm having a baby i'm having a baby <laughs> you're the sudden, midwife <laughs> all, yeah all of a sudden it becomes one of those uh scenes from episodes of tv series where a character is forced to like help deliver a baby and i mean i you know we don't know yet because of the chapter ending when he walks into the tent but i have a feeling that's probably what's going to happen one of the things i really liked about this chapter was seeing mance in battle uh yeah you know there's so much talk about him leading up to this particular moment not just in this book but in previous books but now you actually get to see him go in with his cape and (laughs) and go to war essentially against who we find out later to be stannis and his men uh he his horse gets cut down at one point but i like the fact that Mance hears these horns and he immediately jumps into action and he's ready to go and fight. Right into the thick of it. Right. right into the thick of it. Red and black cloak just wildly flying from side to side as he fights for his life and of his family and of his men that he's so proudly brought together in this dangerous climate. Micah, you talked about it being a bigger surprise in the in in the book if you didn't pick it up. And I, I would agree with that, especially because I think it's intentional usage is uh usage of the words like iron to describe them you just like what is this force that has gained the element of surprise which i think obviously was key to this entire uh quick victory who is it and then you hear it stannis 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 <laughs> I, I kind of just wish that john would have fought right and not that he could have you know not that it was necessarily he's his got fight. a baby to deliver okay but he's <laughs> you know he's standing outside of mance's tent who he's being watched by Varimir. he's like i think i should go inside and destroy this horn this mythical thing that could threaten the world i could save everyone and six skins is like nah I'm like i'm staying here and then you see Arel's eagle, ah, and he starts going crazy. He starts getting, he goes mad. And you got to think, Melisandre, or whatever, let it on fire, you got to assume it's her, knew what it was, understood what it was, and took it down for a reason. And this happened to him, and his wolves are fighting each other. He no longer like has this kind of like hold on them. He's writhing on the ground, crawling. Uh, <laughs> it's crazy, right? It's, yeah. it's absolutely it's a, crazy. Yeah. It, it scares me though because knowing the magical connection that some of the characters in this series have, what could potentially happen depending on the the strength of the relationship that one has to a uh, a direwolf or a dragon or yeah anything else out there, if in fact they are able to make these deep rooted connections, yeah. should their animal get seriously wounded or or perish what what is what the effect mm-hmm. i'm glad that you brought that up because it was kind of a fleeting thought when i was reading aragon it. no well, <laughs> yes that would does be, that happen in aragon oh. i think brahm has a, a lot of problems when that happens but uh what like what if this is drama later on in the books like what if what if one of daenerys's dragons perish and this is just mm. an extra level of you know like a part another chapter in her life where she, that's just it was a thought of mine if that might be some kind of a thing that happens later uh, maybe this they, is just kind of foreshadowing those kinds of events, or maybe yeah. you know, completely off base. Maybe it just you know is its own isolated incident, nothing well, to do with it's the It's crazy too the because this guy has like a rail inside him as well as he's working into the eagle as it gets lit on fire and is burning alive. Like yeah. several creatures are dying right then and there. Yeah. Also, there's a magic horn a few feet away. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, it's like yeah, glittering, like, and you can pick it up and put it in your inventory. 
I was like, going to say we've come, come such a long way from like the scared Brothers of the Night's Watch in the Haunted Wood, but actually we haven't. We're still no. north of the wall yeah. dealing with forces we cannot possibly begin to explain. Or understand. Uh, yeah, or understand. Men versus men. Mance has a raven-winged helm. He's donned. He's he's commanding all of these these men that have you know come together and joined this army. That's basically the first thing like this that has ever happened in their recorded or maybe even unrecorded history. Who knows what it stood against? Whatever threat it was in the past, like we just don't know. There's so much mystery surrounding all of it, and you can't help but just just like when we've done this before, whether it was Blackwater, whether it was you know the, the beginnings of the, the the skirmishes at the wall, like just shake your head at this just nonsense sensical to stop people versus people like this is territory and this is history and and grudges and, and long-standing tradition that you're fighting for when at the end of the day you don't want to kill each other as bad as they want to kill you that we know of mm-hmm. right they could be stewards of the world protecting the planet and these organisms uh. are, are are you know it's like us and the planet and global warming like they could just be protecting the planet against these parasites of human beings we just don't know we just don't know yet but we like these people okay they sing songs they have babies they lay with bears it's a good time (laughs) there's almost a moment you were saying zach about how you wish that we could see john fight yeah almost a moment when you wonder what side he's gonna fight on because we don't know who it is coming and storming it at least i had a second of does he fight with the wild that's true huh you know, like, I don't know. I had kind of that moment, but. So he just stood there. So he just stands there. He's like, all right. Yeah. Well. Maybe but that's then... why he turns away. <laughs> I mean, there's trumpets in dismay. He's like, "Is could this be Rob? You know, this thought goes through through his head and you can't blame him for his mind whipping to different locations while all of this is happening. We literally can't. That's why our conversation right now is so disjointed, folks at home. Like, we can't, we, we can't do this justice without reading it and this would be an audiobook if we read the That's snippets true. that we would need to read to you to, to properly represent this so if you if you're listening along and okay well they talk about it enough i don't necessarily have to read choose this chapter and every other chapter that we've discussed just go ahead and read them just yeah. Ahead. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely read i was gonna say books. i was gonna say should we give them a preview of the upcoming game of owns storm of swords audiobook right now because <laughs> i want to read this closing of this chapter clearly john did not get the cnn news alert that the red wedding happened right because Rob, yeah, king in my heart, king in the north. I thought it was <laughs> king in my heart. <laughs> I didn't know that. I thought John kept recalling those, and they were both named Robert, but but two people who had obviously perished because the at f- the first moment he thinks about Rob, but then later he thinks about King Robert when he sees the the Baratheon stack, and so I just wonder like what all this weird shit that's going on behind the wall that like he's recalling these old he, he doesn't know what's up long dead yeah. people but who knows I mean it is beyond the wall it's so like perfect it. that it's Stannis though Yeah, I just feel like that's such a Stannis thing to do to come and it's so true to his character to kind of stick to the law and he just has such a strong sense of justice so and duty <laughs> he answered the letter okay he knew there was a threat alright yeah. he's like I'm the king I'm gonna go take care of it kind of thing and I, I mean it's a great political move for him too but i don't think he did it for that i think he did it because he feels like it's his duty god what an epic 
person he is right now, riding in with this force to this oh, place and this location. Yes. You know, like the story that's going to be passed. He's got like Melisandre burning birds. Yeah, <laughs> and for one, for once, his like his his adhering to the law actually makes him a good guy. You know, sometimes it kind of. Well, makes he's him... the only one who recognizes the potential for like what this means for the other seven kingdoms, right? Like, yeah. if anybody else gave enough of gave two shits, they would have more reinforcement. They would immediately have it, all the people they would need. I understand this fighting all throughout Westeros right now, but no war is more important. No battle is more, no no battle is more crucial to win. And Stannis, who recently. Came into some money, you know, all of his troops have proper clothing, all of his horses are well fed, uh, you know, is taking them, I mean, I know he's got a bigger plan for them all to come in through the north into Westeros, but he's taking them exactly where they're needed most on the day that they're most needed. And the timing couldn't be more perfect. And that also adds to the level of epicness. But just the idea that he did respond to the letter and he's the only one who does, um, it it makes us love him. Like I'm not looking forward to seeing his downfall. If he if his character in the books takes a downturn, I I don't want to read it. Before we move on to the Arya chapter, I think this conversation is fitting for a Game of Thrones interpreted reading, don't you, Eric? I do. It's done, John thought. They're breaking. The wildlings were running, throwing down their weapons. Hornfoot men and cave dwellers in thens and bronze scales, they were running. Mance was gone. Someone was waving Harma's head on a pole. Tormund's lines had broken. Only the giants on their mammoths were holding, hairy islands in a red steel sea. The fires were leaping from tent to tent, and some of the tall pines were going up as well. And through the smoke, another wedge of armored riders came on barded horses. Floating above them were the largest banners yet, royal standards as big as sheets, a yellow one with long pointed tongues that showed a flaming heart, and another like a sheet of beaten gold with a black stag prancing and rippling in the wind. Robert, John thought for one mad moment, remembering poor Owen. But when the trumpets blew again and the knights charged, the name they cried was Stannis, Stannis, Stannis. John turned away and went inside the tent. Outside the inn on a weathered gibbet, a woman's bones were twisting and rattling in every gust of wind. I know this inn. <laughs> I know this I inn. I you were saying it for a second, Micah. <laughs> Micah's like, I've read this before. And that's Arya's first thought of the chapter. Her last chapter, I regrettably discovered, in a storm of sorts. Oh, no. Well, yeah. I, I guess that's fitting, given the end of this chapter, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it for for being a last chapter, this has so much to it. Like there is, and there's no, there's an air of excitement that that you're left with after mm-hmm. reading this for her storyline. Um, it, it ties it up pretty nicely. It, it really it does. Yeah, unbelievable the journey that she goes through and how all of it is. It's like some kind of epic redemption in one moment. Like, yeah, it's all for a purpose. It means something now. Yeah, it all I mean, if, we're, if we're thinking about all the big Arya moments from season four, you know, the back half of season four, they're they're in this chapter. I mean, from the moment she saw Ned become, you know, headless hmm. until now, it's just she's so young and wandering, lost. Yeah, and from from I don't know, just so much danger and so much at stake for Arya Stark, both and fake and real, fake. And real. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> this, this chapter was. It's hard to switch modes because this is a conversation. Like we don't we don't do a lot of pausing between John and Aria. This is just the way our conversation. So it's hard to switch modes when I'm thinking of how we talk about Sandor Clegane, the emotions that he felt in this chapter, and the emotions that that subsequently made me feel. And just the meeting of the people that we met today in the inn yeah. and the scene that took place. This from again, from one huge thing to another, uh, mm. a storm of swords has just been everything that you guys said it would be. I, yeah, I completely agree. You're talking about a character who feels as if she doesn't really have anything left, especially with her sister. Nobody knows where she is. Uh, is right. she alive? Is she dead? Is she flying uh, through the sky <laughs> on a dragon, <laughs> a wolf dragon with leathery wings? That was right awesome. beneath a double rainbow. <laughs> but in true George fashion, this is a chapter that has a lot that is going on in it, but at the same time is a massive info dump. So I, very similarly to that Jamie chapter that we had last week, you're sitting here in the inn with the Hound, with Arya, with Polliver, with the tickler and with a few other people and you're learning about what has transpired in Westeros specifically King's Landing over the course of maybe let's say the last couple of weeks months we don't really know from a timing standpoint but we get the information that Joffrey is dead we get the information that Sansa and Tyrion are suspected of killing him right mm-hmm. and we learn about what the mountain has been able uh, to accomplish for himself, but that he's been called back to King's Landing. Yeah. Uh, th- there's other pieces of information that are sort of woven in throughout the course of this conversation. The fact that Arya is being betrothed to uh, the, the bastard <laughs> yeah. Bolton. Yeah, it's big news uh, for her. <laughs> yeah, as she's sitting there in the room, and she said she tr- she tries to suppress this laugh. So there. It, that's what I mean. <laughs> take a quick drink in, in, of your goblet. <laughs> as you as you learned, you were betrothed to uh, to somebody else. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, well, not that. No, they've been betrothed. <laughs> uh, so it, th- that's what I mean by the, that. George does an amazing job of that. Where you know, if if you're if you take that aside, right, and you look at the chapter, yeah, it's a chapter a- about a bloody fight that takes place in an inn, leaving most people dead, and then we have one of our biggest characters that we've come to like in a way, probably more Love. so more so through Rory McCann's portrayal on the show, but we're left, uh, we don't know. Like, is he dead? Is he alive? And then Arya has that great send-off at the end of this chapter to close out her story in A Storm of Swords, but yet within all of that is all this other information that's being disseminated. So I, that, I just like going through and reading a chapter like that because yeah. you, just, you just take away so much. It was like, learning about who tried to kill Bran Mm -hmm. way back in in A Game of Thrones in the Jamie chapter. Like, you got that two chapters ago. And Mm -hmm. and George is just so good at doing that kind of stuff. It's giving us and Arya all the information that we need to wrap it up and send her on her marriage. And that's how people communicate. Like, that's that's actually the other thing I was thinking when reading this, too, is, like, they're having this whole entire conversation about every, basically the goings-on in Westeros as much as these people know they're exchanging stories like other men would exchange, uh, I don't know, currency. I'm just thinking Waterworld, like trading dirt. But like basically that's that's it. They've each had these different travels to these different areas and come wound up at this one inn. And they know each other. They recognize each other. 
Um, at least they recognize the hound. And Arya kind of blends in. But they're trading stories because this is how this is how discourse happens in, in, in this world. This is, this, this is cultural, a cultural thing. What a weird way to learn about your family, you know, <laughs> just to kind of hear some gossip in a, in a granted, bar. It's not all accurate. You're right. It is gossip. And granted the, the wolf with wings thing is definitely a flat out whisper I down the it. alley massacre of like I truth of what actually happened. But it's still like, this is as current or as um, it's good enough for them basically to pass on this news and to see that the um how tactical the hound is too asking about the salt pans to see if that you know is an area where these men and or his brother have fortified it's giving the hound and aria the opportunity to basically write a mental note uh to avoid those areas even though it's given, it's information that's given in, in sort of a friendly manner, and even though the the conversation de evolves into basically a, a knife throwing match at first, um, they're they're sort of waiting to shoot first. Both sides are waiting to shoot first. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. it's Moss Eisley. It's basically, basically Moss like, Eisley. This this but is the Katina, and we're like, like all this so much is exactly. Happening. But still, they go into a nice round of like gossip sharing, and you learn a lot from it. How long has it been since the Hound has had a cup of wine? And we think about. All the steps that it's taken. Clearly too <laughs> yeah. long. Yeah. He didn't have any chicken, though. No, he didn't have any chicken. We didn't, no one, there was no fuck salamis. Like, there was, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is obviously fine. It just has to be mentioned because we get the occasion to talk about it again. Why won't we talk about it again? This chapter, I mean, my first note is in all caps, and um, it just says, this is a fucking showdown. <laughs> I mean, from the moment they walk in, it is dangerous, and you feel it yeah, while you're reading. Building. It is. It's not even in exactly what they say. It, it doesn't matter the Polliver, the Tickler, and the Squire there populating this inn that are already just making the locals feel like shit. <laughs> um, the uh, Sandor's like, you know, he throws his. I just have to read this. Polliver immediately goes on the offensive to Sandor, just casually looking for your brother, Sandor. Polliver's hand was down the bodice of the girl in his lap, but now he slid it out. Think about that, right? He's getting ready. Looking for a cup of wine. In keep a flagon of red. Clegane threw a handful of coppers on the floor, just scattering his money on the floor. (laughs) In keep, I don't want no trouble, sir. He goes, then don't call me sir. His mouth twitched. Are you deaf, fool? I ordered wine. As the man ran off, Clegane shouted after him, two cups. The girl's thirsty, too. So it's violent, dangerous. There's copper on the floor. It's just, uh, you know what I mean? Like, what a way to start all of this out. I, I love the way that the men are talking candidly to, to each other. Like, um, I think it's Polliver says to the tickler, or the tickler says to him, when you're done drinking, you'll tickle the innkeep to see where he keeps his gold, the way you always do. And then yeah. it says the innkeep suddenly remembered something in the kitchen. <laughs> the locals were leaving, too, and the girls were gone. Like, everybody knows shit is about to hit the fan. About to go down. Yeah, yeah. and Arya knows that they should leave. And Sandor, everyone knows that they shouldn't be there, but this is where they are. Damn it. And then the hound drinks too much. He chugs half a flagon at first. It's a nice fatal flaw to have. Well, not really, but it's like, because I, I, I love this whole discourse as uh, or this info dump as a uh, pretense to killing each other very brutally. But also there's the hound getting too drunk to really fight back. These characters that we really like, like Tyrion and Sansa, like people that that mean something to us that we're so close to, like we're basically best friends with these guys. But the rest of the realm, especially this far into Westeros, aren't as close. But yet the story of like the progress of Tyrion's trial is being talked about casually 
in an inn this far into Westeros. It just really it, it helps you understand the level of importance they have and the the history of the how the world is unfolding right now, how much they matter. Especially mm-hmm. when we're in point of view, we're able to kind of take a step back. Yeah, and when we're with them, you know, it's how do you, you know, you feel Tyrion's concerns there in the moment. He's just like everyone else. It, it's almost like Polliver is important to Polliver, right? So to him, Tyrion and Sansa are just two other people that they obviously are much more high ranking in in terms of the hierarchy of of Westeros. But to him sitting at a bar, they don't mean anything. But to us, like personally, we are reading their chapters. Not to say that if we were right. reading Polliver's chapter, he would mean anything to us. But oh, I want to read the Squire's chapter. They matter enough to Polliver to know these details. Do you think Tyrion knows anything about Polliver or the Tickler? No. But no. the Tyrion Tyrion's also not planning Varys a trip might. to these areas. It's fun because we we're getting sort of the coolest people in the realm through this story. We're not we're not reading the story through the eyes of someone who's grown up and made him pool and he's got one day I'm going to make it to King's Landing and, and <laughs> you know the hand of the king tourney's happening and maybe he gets stuck in the middle of the action it's not like you know how Duncan Egg Duncan the Tall kind of comes in from the the wings and eventually yeah. gets into the fold like no like Tyrion Lannister is our point of view Arya Stark the girl that's getting talked about getting married off right in front of her is actually sitting in the inn with you these are the characters that we <laughs> you know that are, we're with and she's about to stab a knife into your squire's belly that's the interesting thing, though, is that they're all part of this larger story. However, if you're sitting at an inn somewhere along the King's Road and you're there with these characters, what they're going through is completely different than what somebody in Old Town is going through while all this is going on versus someone uh, you know, in, in the north versus somebody out east. It's, it's all, they're all feeling different ramifications of the same plot. But it, it, it to me it, that that's what is done so well, and I talked about it at the beginning of, of this particular chapter. But the fact that you're able to get that sense that yes, these are characters we've met before, but there's also these common townsfolk that are sitting there in the bar that probably are just trying to make it through this War of the Five Kings with without being affected in any way beyond just maybe financially or or you know that they're, they're trying not to be casualties of war essentially okay, i just realized they're how the brave it people. is well they, they're very intelligent because they get the hell out of the way <laughs> right before the uh long steals song as it's described comes beautiful. about but at the same time like it is brave of them to even have an inn that's open like to still say well people gotta eat you know like <laughs> well these these soldiers are traveling these lands because they open themselves up to these looters and like these terrible people like Polliver and his gang um, to, to do it. Like it is a, an odd form of bravery to still run an inn um, in this time of crisis. I mean, what I guess what else are you going to do if you need the money to live? Gotta get money, get paid. You gotta. But even these big, you know, massive point of view characters that we love, George R. R. Martin, George, can still write these minor guys so well this little pimply kid who keeps calling the hound a puppy oh uh, he just thought that great. he was gonna see some girls today i know and now he's too riled up and so he's here to fight <laughs> all right yeah. took care of him. utter chaos ladies and gentlemen connected yeah. with the last chapter though right yeah it's another mm-hmm. chaos chapter yeah the sense of just of what's happening i hope i don't get you know clipped by a flying flagon <laughs> Sander says if you want me come and get me Sander pushed back away from the wall and stood 
in a half crouch behind the bench, his sword held across his body. You think you won't, said Polliver. You're drunk. Might be, said the hound, but you're dead. (laughs) His foot lashed out and caught the bench, driving it hard into Polliver's shins. Somehow, the bearded man kept his feet, but the hound ducked under his wild slash and brought his own sword up in a vicious backhand cut. Blood spattered on the ceilings and walls. The blade caught in the middle of Polliver's face. And when the hound wrenched it loose, half his head came with it. It's so gross. It's <laughs> totally like Bill Nighy in uh, what's the vampire movie with Twilight? Kate Beckinsale? <laughs> right? <laughs> Underworld. That's the only one. It's the only vampire movie I've seen. Yeah. Similar thing happens to, to Bill Nighy's character. The head just falling off. Despite everything that's happened to the hound in this fight, he's still able to completely remove somebody's head from the rest of their body yeah Uh, it shows you just how fierce of an individual he is and this could be seen as a turning point for Arya, not only to what she does to the squire but what she does to the tickler and yes she is you know uh, this is a revenge type of moment for what she experienced at harrenhal but also I think knowing the direction that her character seems to be going from what we've seen in the television show, uh, there is a darker side to Arya. There is this individual that has come from just a really isolated, lonely girl that we saw back in book one. She's really transformed herself, and she's, I won't necessarily use the word matured, but what she's grown into here would be cause for concern. I, I, definitely. She, she is defending herself. Let's. I mean, who knows what would happen to her if uh, Polliver and the, and the Tickler were able to win out here. It, was, it probably wouldn't have been a very good outcome, never mind if she had decided not to go into the inn in the first place, which had crossed her mind initially, uh, because she really saves the day here. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I, I think there's more than just, hey, I'm I'm acting in self-defense. Like what happened as she was leaving King's Landing and she killed the stable boy could be argued as self-defense. What she does here is fucking cold-blooded murder. And and that scares me for the direction of, of her character moving forward. It felt haunting. Uh, when I when I when I sort of paid attention to the text, like like you said, Micah, it you could you could basically basic. I mean, this was murder. You could also say you know it was a fight, and she was protecting her friend. Lots of, I guess, different angles could be taken on this. But if you really really zero out on the text, it says he wasn't wearing mail or even boiled leather, so it went right in the same way Needle had when she killed the stable boy at King's Landing. He just the way he writes, the way she thinks, the expression around her chapters especially around these sort of moments of inside of her mind she has grown so hardened gradually throughout the story it it almost seems if you go back it was always going to be this way she was always going to be the like this kind of person like it was sort of meant for her just the kind of relationship she had with Sansa and just she always had a little bit of aggression and I think just think it could have been different for her if she hadn't had gone through what she'd gone through after her father was killed but it's just the world that she was forced into and now mm-hmm. her sort of tenacity has been pushed into this like she's basically been forced into to being like this and this was sort of i guess you could say the last straw 
after seeing the hound being in a corner like against the wall drunk off of all the wine he'd been chugging for for bad reasons the person she's traveling with you know he he's he's weak just like everyone is and they're making fun of him right to his face they're saying i heard that you ran away from the battle of blackwater when it got too warm and they're calling him a coward they're they're talking up his brother who he hates like all of this is is dangerous it's 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 like i said it was a showdown it was tension it was i mean you knew something was going to happen and just because of the way that they they spoke to one another and it only took the slightest movement the the slightest you know he was the tickler was reaching back of, to his neck and he could have been scratching but sandor knew and they all knew that once they saw each other how it was going to end and after he luckily you know used that dangerous weapon you said like look how strong he is you know these people aren't walking around with guns it's not 2015 they're walking around with giant pieces of metal that if used correctly and used with the kind of skill that you'll come to have after practicing with it your whole life uh, they can be very very dangerous to meat bags that walk around held together by strips of bone and when two versus one drunk guy is taken down to one versus one she can smell the fear of the tickler mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. runs up behind him and just starts stabbing him over and over this is a huge turning point for her yeah, it really reminds me of the, the Marin Trance scene in the show. The show basically took it down a level because it was maybe too fast of a transition. She hadn't quite gone to Bravos yet. So she still asked him a question in the show. She said, can you move your legs, boy, or can you walk or whatever? Remember? And yeah, stabbed yeah, yeah. him through the throat. But these are all the questions that he was asking over and over. Where are the Brotherhood hiding? You know, I don't know. And they heat up the bucket and the rat burrows into the guy's chest. This is, this is that yeah. guy. Mm-hmm. The utter brutality of it, of course, you can compare to what happened to Marin Trant, but that's the scariest part, isn't it? She hasn't even made her way to Bravos yet, and here she is doing what she's doing to the tickler. The hound essentially has to pull her off because <laughs> of the brutality of what's going on here. The hound, the guy who has brutally murdered plenty of people in the course of his life, is pulling off a nine, ten-year-old girl from uh, the body of a grown-ass man uh, who she has just brutally murdered. So as Hannah pointed out, this is a huge transition for her now uh, after yeah. what has happened at this inn, a place she stayed at when she was a child with her sister in Septimordain, right? <laughs> Which is kind of cool, now... kind of cool that this <laughs> yeah. happens here. Arya here and then later on when she leaves the hound and gets on that boat she's take she's finally getting to take control of her own destiny you know she she finally gets to after all this time of other people making decisions for her and taking her along she gets to make choices and she gets to act and it's it is crazy what she's doing and it is she is flirting with some really dark stuff and walking a dangerous line but she's taking control of who she is and i'm kind of into it he sees it like you said, he gets he he the hound pulls her off of her kill, and I feel like the adrenaline didn't stop for me. And did you guys feel adrenaline when you were reading this? I felt like it was kind of building up, and then it yeah. definitely as she's stabbing him. Is there silver? Stab, stab, stab. Gems. Stab, stab, stab. Where's Lord Barracks? And like you know that immediately, Sandor's connecting it to other things. He's like, man, she's got some, she's got some demons inside of her. How many? How many? How many? How many? How many? How many? She says it like nine times. Is there gold? In the village, she gets drug off his body, hands all over it, uh, or just covered in blood. And I felt like, okay, well, they're immediately even closer now. They just truly felt like a pair at that moment. And he's like, (laughs) he's like, hey, I just, I don't know. I felt if this were 
uh, captured. I thought of it being captured, even though it's already been captured on film. I just thought they were just, they stood at the same height almost at that moment. And Arya's like, there's one more. She she just immediately gestures toward the boy that's still alive. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. It was cool. And he, like, looks at her. And I know that this is bad. Like, we're cheering for murder right now, essentially. And that's that's yeah. not typical. And it's, it's strange how, and it's cool how, what, how George R. R. Martin's done this. But he looks at her. He's just, you remember where the heart is? It's like almost this precious moment for them. Is there redemption for Arya? I mean, is this because the the journey that she goes on not extending past this chapter, just the rest of the chapter through basically realizing at night that she's crossed so many names off the list, like quite a few fewer names uh, on the list. And she forgets to mention the hound after she's just spent several hours cleaning and bandaging him. She realizes later that she's forgotten to say his name and is oddly confused by that but doesn't necessarily immediately run back and say his name you know it's like is what is what is what is that what is what is she doing what's going on inside her head where she's just killed some people and she regrets that the people who have died like joffrey she didn't get to kill herself but yet she's giving somebody like the hound a at least momentary reprieve from her like promise of wrath and revenge fighting being in that much danger together you know breeds a much stronger bond maybe with her own experience with killing she understands it more maybe she's grown darker and i don't know there's there's a lot of things that could mean we've just seen her brutally murder the tickler but yet the hound has to basically recount to her all the ways in which he is terrible like the stuff with sansa as well like what he would have done to sansa or standing by while sansa is brutalized by the king you know all of this stuff he's he's saying to try and get her to kill him, and she won't. And it's like, okay, that's that's a great, that's good depth there for this character. So Micah. there is a redemptive quality in her. Is that what we're yeah we're I mean, getting I, I, at here? Despite I, everything I, she's done in in this particular chapter, uh, she she isn't giving into what the Hound wants, and that is mercy. And she just doesn't have it in her to be able to give him that mercy. So whatever bond was created between them was not strong enough for her to be able to do him in at the end. And then, and then she says, um, you shouldn't have hit me with the ax and you should have saved my mom. She can't really put that on him. Right? Like she was, because she, it's just not, I mean, she's just kind of making up whatever she can say to, to just justify her leaving. I do think, it is what it is at that point, because she doesn't, want to kill him but she also doesn't want to give him mercy like a mercy killing she doesn't want to murder him and she doesn't want to kill him for mercy she just wants to walk away how great is it that Arya walks away while he's watching and begging for mercy <laughs> instead of while he's asleep or you know she has an opportunity almost yeah. has an opportunity at the beginning of the chapter where she's like should i leave but instead she walks away while he's sobbing at her for mercy and i think that's such a cool moment she's just like see you later so sad doesn't even look back just hurt from the scuffle in the end they they rode away she boiled wine in his helmet he boiled wine in his helmet and and took that burning wine on his face on his (sighs) thigh on his shoulder brutal uh cool (laughs) you know just the visceral moments between them strips of uh 
cloth as bandages, eventually him falling against a tree and the way that he sat down, she said, as if he would never get up again. And I thought about that thud, that clunk, that exhausted seat that he took against the tree and what it must have looked like. And it's just excellent, um, excellent storytelling by George R. R. Martin. It almost feels redundant at this point, but we'll keep saying it. Uh, it's, it was it was just a, a captured well I thought in the show and um, the I was e- equally as I mean I know that if you've been listening for a while you know how like how dramatic that was for so many people and mm-hmm. for us and I thought it was it was it was fantastic and the way uh, it was performed and it was just fantastic also here the way it was written how he tried to tempt her and how it didn't really even feel that sincere you know he didn't. He didn't complain altogether too much. He just kind of a real wolf would have finished a wounded animal, you know. It's such yeah. a strange understanding between the two of them, and it was a, a really cool storyline and a song of ice and fire to yeah. have these two mm-hmm. kinds of people spend as much time as they did with each other and clearly affect each other on a very deep level as much as they did. Gonna miss it. And a no little bit. I know. Well, uh, mm-hmm. that's okay. Right? I don't think it was needed. Well, no. I mean, clearly George didn't either. <laughs> <laughs> but for the purposes of the show, uh, it worked really well. And uh, yeah, I think so. I liked how the ending of these two chapters kind of tied each other or tied together in in much the same way. So they're very. It feels like a bit of a breath of fresh air, like Stannis arriving in the north. You have a sense that John will be safe for the time being because he's in a, a situation of mortal peril right with, with this with the situation that he's been put in both by thorn and by slint and somewhat mance and and the same thing really here for Arya. she was in a situation of mortal peril at the inn and really with the hound and now here she is uh getting on a ship to sail to bravos and it's really like they've They've been freed in a way. Maybe not John as much, but you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that we're going to have a, a mixture of these kinds of endings. Obviously, they can't all be Stannis arrived. And I don't think that that's the last we're going to see of John. so we probably won't be left in that way. But the way that this Arya chapter ends, her making it to the salt pans, her seeing these ships, her selling her large horse. Uh who possibly couldn't be hers and getting a crappy price for it just because <laughs> it's clear that this small girl wouldn't have a knight's horse. And all, all, you know, all, all of that sort of last minute drama, you can see the, the pages dwindling down, how it just doesn't matter how hard she tries to get a ship to the north. She shouts for a captain and her, her request to go to the north with what little money she has is, isn't necessarily looked at poorly because of how much she has, but because, and this is what he says, the north has nothing for us, ice and war and pirates, which I thought to myself, doesn't sound that bad. This sounds kind of fun. <laughs> but, of course, it's not very fun for these people that aren't connected with our story. That are these merchants and traders, <laughs> and they're just trying to make some money, right, in this world. And we learn that they're headed to Bravos. Bravos. Yeah. Uh, when, when the pirates were made mention of it, it made me wonder if perhaps they had sailed past Salador San and some of Stannis' men on on their way uh, to where Arya is meeting them, mm. just kind of tying the two chapters together uh, even more. Yeah, and if you familiarize yourself with the geography, these are all interconnected sections and how close stuff are to one another, and it's just it's cool how it's 
how it's all just one big happy story. I know that that is, you know, these are kind of obvious points, but they're worth mentioning how it's just none of it's random. This is all very well placed. And there's a, there's a reason why these books take so long to write is because you know, these details are often cared about. You know, this coin that we got introduced to us so long ago in such a strange way uh, is pulled out of her small clothes and handed over and immediately, and the chill happened again <laughs> while reading. Uh, the respect is given to Arya. He says, of course you shall have it. Of course. Given. He wouldn't give so her the time cool. of the day five minutes ago, you know, or barely was turning to leave. And then she reaches in and finds the coin. He's like, ah, one more silver won't do. And then she says, and she's like, oh yeah. And her her, her mind is like, oh yeah, uh, Jack told me to say the words. And then she says the words. And then he immediately like puts two fingers to his eyebrow. It's so great. I can't imagine that weight. That weight would it's, have It's just me. a perfect way. Oh, yeah, that weight must have sucked. Oh but it's God. also like the perfect way to have um, ended her story with it's just like she's being given such respect and it's not for being a Stark, right? It's just like she's been – you can clearly tell there's great things in store for her for her arc if a random stranger sea captain is stopping what he's doing and is basically giving her his like quarters for this long journey across a narrow sea. Right. Yeah. It's like you said, Hannah, you know, she's making her own decisions. And like, not only that, she's, you know, getting treated like this. It's a bright future. It looks after all that she's gone through. Taking control. What troubles me, though, is that killing has now become a option for her. Mm-hmm. Even with the woman who owns the stable that she sells the horse at, she contemplates killing her. And that that worries me for Arya <laughs> moving forward, that yeah. she would think about, you know, yeah, I get it. The lady's trying to swindle you out of some money here because mm. you look like you crawled out of the sewer. But <laughs> <laughs> she's still this probably nice old lady. She probably has kids. She's a mom and just doing her job. Maybe a wife. Yeah. Like, so anyway, I get this is a uh, uh, Westeros and and killing is is always an option. But the fact that this ten year old girl is contemplating doing it uh, is is troubling to me. But Going back to the top of the chapter, how George uh, does this amazing job of, of making things come full circle, things whether they were in this book or in previous books, you know, her, as, as Eric mentioned, her list has now gotten shorter. She's taken out two from Heron Hall. The Hound, for all intents and purposes, is is dead. Uh, she's has Needle back. She's used a coin that she got from Jack and Hagar to get to Bravos, uh, which is also home to Sirio Pharrell. So I just you know, when you're reading these chapters, not only are you having these major moments take place within the context of the third book, but it's the entire story sort of weaving itself back together after having been so far apart for so long. And that to me is just a mark of, of a great writer and what mm-hmm. makes this so much fun to do. I know. I'm having a blast. I'm really glad that we get to talk about this, guys. It's it's fun to read the books, but it's even more fun to like talk to the three of you and to you know, have all of my kind of I you know you feel a little ridiculous sometimes you get so excited about a, a make believe story, but I think it's it's they're echoing all of these these thoughts and uh, principles from just reality for us humans and, and the relationships and you know just the re- just how the world feels and it's cool to see you know kind of lead by example from the the salt of some of these characters and uh just a just a good job all around i love these books me too me three so is it time for owns i think so 
so we can like reference the chapter again now where uh, Stannis Baratheon uh, invades the other side of the wall. <laughs> right? Yeah, before before that huge trump uh is played before before Stannis's victory, let us not forget that Mance had a very serious trump card to play which was the Horn of Winter, which may have been the Horn of Winter and may have been just a very clever ruse, but uh, my own for for the John chapter has to go to Mance for either finding uh, the actual Horn of Winter and getting everybody to lie about it, or making one up and then passing it off as the Horn of Winter uh, to to John. Because like either way, that's pretty impressive and that's a heck of a good strategy to play up against these men. Like we're gonna ring this, we're gonna blow this horn in three days. <laughs> Yeah. No matter what. I have to go ahead and give my own to Varamir Sixkins, who talks to Aurel every once in a while and Jon Snow, by the way, go fuck yourself. <laughs> I'll give my own to it's hard. Like I kinda just want to give it to George R. R. Martin, but we've already have this episode saying how cool this damn story was. So maybe I'll give it to Tormund Giants Bane for all that we've said and also for this small exchange. Har said Tormund. Well, I never had much use for steer. When a man's got no beard, no hair, no ears, you can't get a good grip on him when you fight. It's <laughs> good logic. Simple, but good. Very good logic. I love it. Har. I'm gonna give my own to the others for making everything else irrelevant when they come <laughs> so Good. is eric happy no yes. own went finally to finally it's the first time this has happened in like 10 episodes Eric's I swear. best day ever yeah he uses that uh, kind of the others be my own for like every chapter from now on because that would be relevant <laughs> that's like every the chapter. trump that's a trump card yeah oh my god <laughs> oh none of this matters white walkers well let's see if we can do the same thing with the aria uh oh and see her then um I guess, oh, geez, do I have to go first? Uh, I'm going to go to the second stick uh, for for being stronger at withstanding the Hound's pain than the first one, which is really the third one that Arya found uh, to put in his mouth while she boiled wine on his body. Um, short yep. own, but, uh, but it survived, so there you go. That's a good one. My own goes to the Hound for when... Well, Arya and the Hound, she says, what if they know you? Sander no longer troubled to hide his face. He no longer seemed to care who knew him. They might want to take you captive. And the Hound goes, let them try. He loosened his longsword in its scabbard and pushed through the door. <laughs> just confidently so entering. Great. He's just like, come yes, at me. I love it. And then they do try and they almost kill him, but it's yeah, fine. They do try, yeah. <laughs> All that damn wine. I feel like I should give my own to Arya just to piss Eric off. Don't do it. You should. Please do. I'm actually going to give my own to uh, the name of the ship that Arya is traveling on, which is the Titan's Daughter, just because. Just be- <laughs> oh. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> Micah, who has read all the books, does not do anything just because. He might be just. Yeah. yeah he, you know. I'm, I'm sure we'll find out who the ti- like about all about the Titan and his daughter in the future. I'm I'm holding on to that own, Micah. Part of me wants to give my own to the nice old lady that Arya casually considered murdering in cold blood uh, for getting an excellent price, probably paying not even what the bridle and the leather on the saddle was worth. That was expertly yeah. done. Her charisma stats are all the way up. This this is difficult because I'm not sure what sort of opportunities I'll have uh, in the future to to 
to do this, but can I just give it to the relationship between Arya and the Hound and Mm -hmm. to how it, you know, it it came together and how he learned the information about fake Arya and didn't glance at her. And just, I guess, to Sandor Clegane and both Arya Stark for making it through and, and seeing an end to their, to their, you know, pretty, pretty sizable journey together. I know that that's not a very pop culture-y cool own, but I just, I, I find it hard to zero in on a moment, you know, it all kind of culminated in that, that hound's helm full of boiled wine. Uh, yeah. And the pain and his feelings. He says, don't lie. I hate liars. I hate gutless frauds. Even worse. Go on. Do it. And like, look, he looked at her and you remember where the heart is. And he says it again later to her. She, I don't know. There's a lot. There's a lot of emotion. He calls Micah Michael. <laughs> he doesn't even remember it. But your boy's name. <laughs> there's a lot. So yeah. Taylor Clegane, Arya Stark. Good own. Join us now for a selection of owns written to us from you. Mm. The first one comes from Brienne of Tarth. Hey, mysteriously very absent. much in this chapter. <laughs> yes. yes. My John Owen goes to Melisandre for throwing up a big old fuck you to the wildlings and their warg. Arya. Oh, that too. <laughs> Sorry, that owns for me yeah. too. Arya Owen goes to Arya for throwing up a big old fuck you to Polliver's insides and the squire's bowels. Hashtag fuck everything. <laughs> and she went ahead and apologized for the F-bombs. Bree's had a rough week. Aw. Two parts, Rye. It's hard not to give the own to Longspear. <laughs> Quote, that's what Munda said. <laughs> and I guess that's for both chapters. <laughs> that's, all, that's all we need. Longspear for our entire reading gets the own. Next up is Hodgedog who says, John Own goes to my Lord Slint for always helping John remember his courtesies. Aww. I love that. And Arya's own to Arya for asking the tickler such good questions, <laughs> which is one way to put it, I guess. Kingsguard member, Jen Calhoun. Kingsguard, a very important tier for us over on Patreon. Mm. And her own goes to Tormund for being the guy queued up to blow the horn and take the wall down. He also <laughs> owns my heart. Hashtag Man Crush Tuesday. <laughs> and own to badass slash scary Aria, because when I was 10, all I cared about was voting for American Idol, and here she is all stabby stab. Same. <laughs> Matthew Marilla. John Own goes to Melisandre for burning Aurel's eagle and making very Mary Sixkins lose his mind. Yeah. God, I could I could really feel that when he was screaming. I could just I was like, oh man, he's burning alive through another being. Joseph Wayne, wonder if it's any relation to John Wayne, says own to John for pointing out the humanity of the free folk. Anti own goes to George for making Arya terribly <laughs> sad and tragic. <laughs> Anti own, I like it. It is a tragedy when you become a murderer, like a, a very vicious killer. Mariah Lovegood says for John, own to book Stannis for answering the letter from the wall. Yes, yeah. thank you. And Arya, own to Arya for showing no mercy. Never. Well, at least plenty of our listeners have given owns to Arya. <laughs> yeah, guys. so to make up for <laughs> Yeah, to make up for the your guys sidestepping. 
They're doing um, it on purpose, and I hope they keep doing it. Susan Stacy writes in, Don't you just love the drama of Stannis and his cavalry surprising Mance Raider? Her owns. Stannis owns the day. Stannis, Stannis, Stannis. Stannis. And for Arya, Arya owns Needle once again. <laughs> That's such a That's great true. thing. We, I see That's what so you've done. Yeah. She has Needle back. Jeff Lightfoot. John Chapter owned to John's inner monologue while listening to Slint. Him thinking of a grit kicking his ass if he sees her in the afterlife, and his wanting to tell Janus who Maester Aemon thinks slash knows who he has <laughs> cracked me up. Uh, and Arya owned the hound for teaching Arya yet another life lesson, never drink too much, too fast, on an empty stomach. The wounds from a night like that might leave you asking some <laughs> poor soul to stab you in the heart the morning after just to end the misery. <laughs> Not to mention the hangovers. Thank you, Jeff Lightfoot. We also heard from Zo Yin. Hi, Gu. First time own, long time listener. John Chapter own goes to Tormund's happiness that his daughter got stolen by a guy famous for his, quote, long spear. <laughs> 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 and the Arya Chapter own goes to the squire with the big pimple, for goading the hound with his insult. Yes, yes, uh. yes, yes. Puppy. And then last we heard from Reese Palazzolo. Owned for John Chapter. Again, goes to Jano Slint for making me want to cut off his manhood and feed it to the goats. <laughs> oh, <laughs> man. this place it tends. <laughs> Arya. <laughs> Arya's own goes to Needle for finally finding its way back to its true owner. And Arya for finally getting her sweet, sweet revenge on the tickler. And can I give another own to Jeff Lightfoot? I don't know if we mentioned this on the show, but he carved an incredible Game of Bones oh, pumpkin yeah. this, this Halloween season. And uh, we'll put it in the I show. I saw this. this. This was truly awesome. Yeah. So um, thank you for your pumpkin carving. Um, thank you for sending in your owns yet again. We we put out the call like not even that long ago before we recorded. And it's just like sometimes you're just like, okay, well, I hope that there's that there's owns. I hope people living their normal lives, you know, have maybe see this before we start recording right. our episode. Maybe we should have posted this uh, maybe yesterday or so. But again, um, you you all at home do not disappoint. So thank you for cascading along with us on this journey for 302 episodes mm -hmm. now. Rising to the challenge. For carving pumpkins. <laughs> Did we challenge them to a pumpkin? We, we will next year. We'll get some competition. But uh, if you would like to send your owns in the way that these lovely listeners have, uh, you can do so to us over via Twitter, which is uh, twitter.com slash game of owns or at game of owns if you're already signed in. Facebook.com slash game of owns. You can scrawl upon our wall. Haven't said that in a little while. And email uh, as well. Uh, contact at gameofowns.com is our address. Send us some email, love, uh, while you still can. Few, few chapters remain of this book. Or while email still exists. Yes. That's what I was ex it's expecting It's fast becoming extinct. Before the White Walkers come and destroy everything. Exactly. That's right. yeah. uh, you can also <laughs> uh, head on over to iTunes and leave us a rate and review. It is the month of November, so in this month, as the White Walkers approach, nothing less than five stars is acceptable, or use your imagination to, to figure out what might happen to you. Micah, we can say winter is coming again. We can. Ooh. Yes. And it makes sense. Winter is cool. coming, and if you don't rate us five stars, it will come for you. We will get to uh, some of your reviews on the next uh, episode. I know people have been... Waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for those reviews to be read, but I promise it is worth the wait. Hopefully, we hear from our good friend Taxi Diver if uh, <laughs> yeah, they were allowed to leave us another please. review. Uh, but uh, After we one of the reasons them. why 
we uh, do encourage reviewing the show is because there are a lot of people out there who are looking for Game of Thrones podcasts in the uh, what they consider to be the off season uh, between seasons five and six, and uh, we want to be that uh, podcast for uh, all those out there. And uh, by reviewing us, it's a great way for other people to find out that we exist. So we appreciate you heading on over to iTunes and reviewing and rating the show. Speaking of new listeners or listeners who are looking for a new way to interact with the show, we are over on Patreon. We, Game of Bones, are over on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash goo, which, you know, we haven't called ourselves goo like out loud to people in in a little while. I feel like we should do that more often. But we are goo. Goo is what we do. We have a lot of really cool, special, exclusive media for our patrons over on Patreon, and you'd be a fool to miss it. You would be what they made, uh, what Mancerator disguised himself as to... Actually, that was a singer. Okay, analogy falling apart. <laughs> you would be a fool to miss all of the cool content that we you have. You would be a bard if you missed. You, you would be... Uh, what's Jingle Bells if you were to miss all the content that we um, have over on, on Patreon. And it's carefully curated, developed, produced. Uh, go check out our, our tiers. And, and, you know, it's a great way to support the show in general. To just allow us to continue to do everything that we are doing case in point episode 300 um you know go listen to that if you have any questions and uh i'm sure you'll be put at ease so this is um it's a cool thing go check it out patreon.com slash goo and uh we really appreciate it sam and john are up next so very quickly we are back with john snow oh man that'll be fun and we haven't seen Sam in a bit, so it's going to be good to meet him. Yeah. Maybe Sam will stop by and, and visit the show. Perhaps. You know? oh, he's, he's been uh, on vacation. <laughs> I hear that he's been twinkling his toes in the sand, but winter is approaching, and we're getting closer and closer to the end of a storm of swords. Hey, you know, thank thank you, uh, the three of you guys, for, for hanging out and for, for being my friend and all of us making this podcast together, right? It's cool. Absolutely. Yeah. Maybe next we'll come out with a rock album. Oh, that'd be cool. Maybe. I like that. Episodes. You know nothing, John Snow. I want to play drums. You know nothing, John Snow. <laughs> <laughs>